This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We turn to the Word of God this morning, continuing our series in the book of Acts. Last time out, we considered the life and ministry and death of a young man called Stephen, chosen as a deacon to distribute the, the regular offerings to the widows of the congregation, a man who preached the gospel and fell foul of the ruling authorities. And after preaching a sermon that took them through the Old Testament, pointing to Jesus, they murdered him, stoned him to death. But yet Stephen looked up and saw the glory of God with Christ by his side and was received into paradise. A great persecution broke out in Jerusalem. It was headed up by a man called Saul. And yet that persecution was used by God to take the gospel to the highways and the byways. That's where we are today. And we look at this passage in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 verses 4 to 40. We read it together. This is the word of God. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practised ma ma magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed, and after being baptised, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, 
Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And a eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. And we thank God today for his word. One of my favourite hymns is called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. A couple of years ago as a church, we learned how to sing it in a slightly updated modern version. Rather, you sing it in the old way or the new way, it doesn't really matter. I think it is a hymn that is full of truth. One of the lines in it says that God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. And that often, behind his frowning providence, there lies a smiling face. I don't know what you think of that hymn. I don't know what you think of that line about a frowning providence of God and yet there is a smiling face behind it. But my friends, I would put it to you today that it is absolutely true. We see in this passage the hand of God's providence being extended. Last time out as we got into this book, we discussed the life of Stephen. A young man who was great in word and in deed. And a young man who stood before his accusers and preached the gospel. He took them back to Abraham and on a journey through the Old Testament at every turn of the way showing these men listening to him the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we remember from last week, Stephen's life is taken from him. He is stoned to death and a man called Saul approves of his execution. And what happens next in Jerusalem is a great persecution of the, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ's church. Paul goes 
from house to house. And he is rounding up and persecuting any who he finds belonging to Jesus. And what happens? The church is scattered. Now straight away we might see that and think, well that's not the plan. That's not the way it was supposed to be. After all, who wants to be persecuted? Who wants to see the church scattered to the highways and the byways? But behind a frowning providence lies the smiling face of God and his providential hand is mighty indeed. Before we go any further, let's define what we mean by providence. Our shorter catechism puts it this way in question 11. What are God's works of providence? And the answer says that God's works of providence are his most holy, wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all of their actions. Providence is how God preserves and governs all things. Providence is how God preserves and governs all things. It is, as the Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew 10 and verse 29, that not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father. Our God is a God who is sovereign, who is in control. And he was in control over the persecution that his church experienced all these years ago, just as he is in control today as we continue to endure this pandemic, this lockdown and this disease that we call COVID-19. There isn't a single moment in human history where God's providence has failed and not a single moment in human history where God has abdicated from the throne and allowed things just to get out of control. We worship and believe today in a providential God and once more, what are God's works of providence? His works of providence are his most holy, wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Even in the midst of persecution, there was providence. And we see that in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Because we read there about the scattering of the church of Jesus Christ. But we also read that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Do you see the providential hand of God? Christ has ascended back up to heaven. He has told his disciples to go and to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And slowly but surely, the gospel begins to leave the great city of Jerusalem and it starts to go to the highways and the byways. And how does it go? By the providential hand of God who uses even the fury of a persecution to send his church to the ends of the earth with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what happens. We find this young man called Philip, one of those named with Stephen in Acts chapter 6, who was appointed to make sure the daily distribution got where it needed to go. Here is this young man called Philip, verse 5, who went down to the city of Samaria. And boys and girls, the Samaritans uh, are people who are not terribly liked by the Jews. And so Philip goes to the city of Samaria, S-A-M-A-R-I-A, boys and girls, for your sheets. A place where no self-respecting Jew would really want to find himself or herself in. Philip goes to Samaria and he goes and he proclaims to them the Christ. 
And we read in verse 6 that the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Unclean spirits, verse 7, were driven out. They were crying out with a loud voice, but they came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was much joy in the city of the Samaritans. Now, boys and girls and mums and dads, we want to pause for a wee bit and to consider who these Samaritans were. Probably we know the story of the so-called Good Samaritan, the parable that Jesus taught. But we need to go a wee bit further back into 2 Kings chapter 17 to discover why there was so much discussion and debate and fury between the Jews and the Samaritans. You see, the Samaritans were people from a Hebrew background. And when the Assyrians came and carried away the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity, the Samaritans were those who in that northern kingdom intermarried and intermixed and worshipped false gods alongside their captors. And so the Jews saw them as half-breeds. A horrible phrase, admittedly, but historical accounts show that that's what the Jews thought of the Samaritans. They weren't quite Gentiles, but they weren't quite Jews either. They were something else. They were half-breeds. You can read in 2 Kings 17 that they worshipped false gods. They didn't listen to the Lord God Almighty. They separated themselves from the Lord God called Yahweh. And so over the period of time since, the Jews and the Samaritans grew in hostility to one another. In John 4, the Lord Jesus Christ meets the Samaritan woman and she is surprised that Jesus speaks to her. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then in brackets, John puts for our attention, he says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jewish people would avoid Samaria at all costs. They would go round it. They would take a longer route so they didn't have to go through it. To eat with a Samaritan, Jewish literature says, was to be like eating pork. Their daughters were seen as unclean. They were accused of practicing abortion. And whilst they didn't expect someone like Jesus, they did expect another Moses. They didn't hold to all of the Old Testament, you see. The Samaritans only held to the first five books, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. And they worshipped at Mount Gerizim, and they were different in many ways from the Jews just down the road. And so for Philip... To go and to spend time with the Samaritans was extraordinary. In Luke 17, Jesus sums up Jewish sentiment towards the Samaritans. A man is healed and he comes and he praises the Lord and he gives thanks to Jesus. He was a Samaritan, but in Luke 17 and verse 18, Jesus said, Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? See, to the Jews, the Samaritans were foreigners, idol worshippers, uncouth, half-breeds, not to be talked to, not to be dealt with, people who were beyond the pale. And so it is an insult that they throw at Jesus in John 8 and verse 48 when we read that the Jews answered Jesus, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The Jews and the Samaritans. Didn't get on. 
and it was probably a lot more than that and in polite company we will not describe fully the nature of their relationship. But today in this passage, that's where Philip finds himself, scattered by a providential persecution of the church in the city of Samaria, preaching the gospel and many receive it with great joy. Here the gospel is leaving Jerusalem and it is beginning its journey to the ends of the earth. There are those hearing it, believing it and are saved and filled with great joy. Oh, to see days like this once more. Even in their midst, there was someone called Simon the Magician. And Simon was someone who did great and mighty things. He was able to do magic in the city. He amazed the people and he himself said that he was someone great. Indeed, in verse 10, we read, They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. And they said, This man is the power of God that is called great. They looked at all the things that Simon the magician could do and they put him on a pedestal and they said, look at this guy. He's like God himself. And the gospel comes to the Samaritan audience and even we are told Simon comes to believe. Verse 11, we are told that the Samaritans paid much attention to this man, Simon the magician, for he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So suddenly their attention leaves Simon the magician and it moves to Jesus Christ the Lord. They are born again. They are converted, they are saved, they turn away from their sin and received Christ by faith. And even verse 13 tells us that Simon himself comes to believe. And Simon himself is baptized and Simon himself continues on with Philip. He sees great and mighty things done. He is amazed by it. And even Simon the magician, it seems, joins the ranks of the local church. It is an extraordinary moment taking place here in Samaria. It is an extraordinary thing that many Samaritans, with all of that baggage and culture and legacy and history that we've talked about, it is an extraordinary thing that they are hearing the gospel from a young converted Jew like Philip, and they are receiving it, and they are believing it. Now what comes next in this story is something that is quite controversial. Because we read that in verse 14, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. And Peter and John come down and they pray for the Samaritans that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon them, verse 16, but they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they had heard the gospel, they had believed the gospel, they had even received the sacrament of baptism baptism but the Holy Spirit had not yet come. It was then in verse 17 that we read the apostles laid their hands on these Samaritans and it was at that stage that they received the Holy Spirit. And so many in the church today look at a passage like this and they will say well here is direct evidence that we are to expect a twofold interaction with the Holy Spirit. What happens when we are saved? Well, it is the Holy Spirit who comes and causes us to be born again. He regenerates us. He gives us new hearts. He enables us to receive the gospel by faith. That's the first interaction with the Holy Spirit. 
But some look to a passage like this one and then they say, but look, the Samaritans were saved, but then they needed to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My friends, if you hold to such a theology, a, a twofold operation of the Holy Spirit, then I humbly disagree. I do not believe that that is what is going on here. I believe that anyone today who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus is saved. And anyone today who has called upon Jesus receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is not a second blessing that we need to seek out by our praise, our prayer, or our piety. But the apostles come instead, not to usher in a twofold interaction with the Holy Spirit, but instead to show that the experience of the gospel among the Samaritans is authentic. They come and they lay hands on these men and women and the Spirit comes and the people rejoice in the name of the Lord. It is to show the church of Jesus Christ in these days that the gospel is for all who will believe. We have said in these sermons that the day of Pentecost could not be repeated. And so here on this day, when the Spirit moves among the Samaritans, this is another day that could not be repeated. But it is a sure milestone in the history of the church that the gospel is leaving the borders of Israel. It is moving away from Jerusalem. It is going to the ends of the earth and all who receive it will be saved. My friends, I can't underline the antagonism that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. I can't underline it enough. These men and women who have just received the gift of the Holy Spirit by the hands of the apostles, these men and women are the lowest of the low. They are seen as scum in the eyes of the Jews. And suddenly the gospel comes and suddenly it is received with repentance and faith. Extraordinary. Consider today the people groups around you who you despise the most. And I know that we are all good people and I know that we don't think bad things, but consider those men and women who you despise. It can be so casual in our society, can't it? We're part of the United Kingdom, England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. But how many of us point at the English and, and say that we despise them? Oh, that's the English for you. And even Brexit at the minute, we say, oh, it's an English Brexit. Boris Johnston, an Englishman, has let us down again. Perfidious Albion, we like to say. can be so easy, can be so lazy, but quite simply, all of us at times point the finger at different people groups and, and we despise them. We don't need to get into the history of this land too much to remind ourselves that Protestants and Roman Catholics do not get on. Imagine today, if I told you that there was a young preacher who had gone down south in a, the least evangelized part of Europe, he had gone down south and he had preached the gospel and thousands had come to faith in Christ. Would you believe it? Would you rejoice? You should believe it. You should rejoice. You should pray that many churches will be planted south of the border. We should pray that many men and women from a nationalist background, from a Roman Catholic background, would be saved. It's the equivalent that's happening here. Jew and Samaritan despise each other, and yet the gospel comes to Samaria and they receive it. 
with arms wide open and they believe it. And the apostles go to investigate and they find it is true and they lay hands on these people and the Spirit comes, praise the Lord. Again, oh for days like this. We live in a land that has lots of churches. We are not like our next door neighbour, the Republic. We are an evangelized land. We are a land where there are churches on every corner of every town and village and city. We have heard the gospel for generations in our own language. But oh, for a day that we would receive it with joy the way these Samaritans did. Oh, for a day that we would see many coming to know Jesus in Balnehinch and beyond. I would have preached at a time in the Christian Workers Union Hall here in Balnehinch. And I don't know if you've ever been to that wee hall, but if you go to it, you will see that on the wall is a picture of the great evangelist W.P. Nicholson. And it was when W.P. Nicholson came to Balnehinch that many people that I know in our own church and in this town, many of them came to know Christ. They'll tell you stories about how my uncle was saved and my father was saved and I was saved. And WP did a great work and WP went here and there and everywhere and hundreds and thousands came and flocked to hear him preach and many were redeemed, many were saved. Oh, for days like that again. You see, for us, often the gospel has just become something that you believe in and it's not that exciting and not that joyous. But it is scandalous in this passage that it goes from the mouth of a Jew to the ears of the Samaritans and they receive Christ and they are saved. Oh, for days like that once more. And yet even as the Spirit falls and even as the towns and cities and villages of Samaria rejoice as the gospel is preached, we see that not everyone has been believing properly. Boys and girls, I asked you about Simon the magician. And you see, we are told, boys and girls, that he received the gospel, that he was baptised and he even continued on with Philip. But had he believed properly? Was he truly saved? Boys and girls, we see here that no, he wasn't. See, Simon sees the mighty works of the apostles and he asks the question in verse 19. He says, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And verse 18 even tells us that he offered the apostles money for this gift. You see, boys and girls and mums and dads, we realize here that Simon the magician's heart was not right. He may have heard the gospel he may have claimed that he believed it. He may even have been baptized. But Simon was not saved. We look at Peter's response to him in verse 20 and we see exactly that. Peter says to Simon, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. In other words, Peter says to him, to hell with you and your money. Literally, that's what he says. To hell with you and your money. Simon may have been part of the crowd and he may have been one to stick his hand in the air but he had not received the Lord by repentance and faith. He was not a saved man. 
As Peter continues in verse 23, he says, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Repent of this wickedness, says Peter in verse 22. Pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. You see, it is hard to be a Simon. It is hard to be someone who is on the pedestal and people say, oh, Simon's amazing. There's nobody like Simon. Simon does the great works of God. Simon is fantastic. It's hard to go from that place to suddenly everyone's attention is on the Lord Jesus. Simon's nose was put out of joint. And Simon with his money said, give me this gift as well. Because Simon didn't want to do the work of Christ. Simon wanted people to see him doing these mighty works and to once again be in a place where they point and say, how amazing is Simon. In his heart is the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. See, Simon does respond to what Peter says. It comes in verse 24 when he says, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And again, this is interesting because Simon could pray for himself, but he doesn't. Simon could fall on his knees before the apostles and repent, but he doesn't. Simon goes away and says, pray for me. Pray that none of that bad stuff will happen. My friends, even in great days of gospel work, even when crowds of people are coming to believe the Lord Jesus Christ, once more, not everyone who puts their hand in the air or walks the walk or prays a prayer or signs a card, not everyone who says that they are with Jesus is actually saved. How can anyone be saved? Only by a supernatural work of God. The gospel is preached. The Holy Spirit breaks stony, rock-hard hearts into pieces. He renews us and causes us to be born again. We receive Christ by faith. We repent of our sins. This is how we are truly saved. But do not be surprised when there are those in our number who for a multitude of reasons say, I'm on team Jesus. But they prove by their words and their actions that they aren't and have never been. My friends, if you're listening to this today and you think that the gospel is a get out of hell free card and that's all it is, then you're mistaken. And if you are someone today who thinks that the gospel is not for you because, well, you're good enough, then you are mistaken. And if you think today that the gospel is a means to an end, maybe a, a means to a job, a means to good reputation, a means to money, then you are mistaken. You have fallen into the error of Simon the magician and you are in danger of being lost eternally. I call upon you to believe rightly, to repent of your sins and to put your faith in Jesus. And the one who does that will be saved. There are many who will go to the fires of hell with the waters of baptism on their face. Do not go through the motions. Do not think that the sacraments will save you. Do not believe that church attendance is good enough. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The gospel had come to the Samaritans. 
to the lowest of the low, to the dogs, to the half-breeds. And by Peter and John coming and the Spirit arriving, the world was to see that even the gospel could reach these Samaritans. As this passage comes to a close, the gospel goes even further. Verse 26 tells us that an angel of the Lord commands Philip to go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, a desert place. And when Philip gets there, he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, someone, boys and girls, who works for Queen Candace, Queen Candace, C-A-N-D-A-C-E, who was queen of the Ethiopians. And Queen Candace, boys and girls, had put this man in charge of all of her treasure. This Ethiopian eunuch had come down to Jerusalem to worship. Perhaps he was a Jew, a Jew who, because he was a eunuch, wouldn't have been able to go into the temple. Or perhaps he was just someone who had heard of the God of the Jews, Yahweh, and he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Regardless, this was another foreigner, someone else who was not like us, someone else who was on the fringe, a eunuch, someone who had received a choppity chop and a snippity snip. And yet here he is, as we read in verse 28, seated in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. But he doesn't understand it. Philip goes over and the eunuch says to him, How can I know what this is about unless someone guides me? And he says to Philip, Come and sit with me. And so the passage of scripture is from the book of Isaiah. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This passage is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. The eunuch asks that question. About whom, I ask you, verse 34, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about the Lord Jesus. The eunuch received that good news. The eunuch believed that good news. The eunuch was saved and the eunuch is baptised in verse 38. Both Philip and the eunuch go down into the water and come up out of the water. And at that stage, the spirit of the Lord carries Philip away. And the eunuch, well, he goes rejoicing back to Africa. And Philip, from Azotus, verse 40, he goes up the coast, up to the north, until he comes to the Roman place of Caesarea, where inevitably Europeans would hear the gospel with their own ears. Brothers and sisters, even in the midst of persecution, God's providential hand moves forward. Philip goes to Samaria and many receive the gospel. And Philip goes to the south and an African man receives the gospel. The gospel goes to Africa and Europe and Samaria. It is spreading throughout the world and many are receiving it and many are trusting in Christ and the gospel can't be stopped. There's that phrase again that we've already spoken about time and again in this sermon series. And today as we wrap this passage up, I just want us to think for a minute about the providential plans of God in the midst of this pandemic. See, often in these days we despair. 
we are still at the beginning of March out of church. And this week our executive put out a roadmap, but but they didn't put any dates on it. They didn't want to get our hopes up. They, they didn't say by the 10th of April we'll all be back to normal. They didn't do it. And so even though we receive the good news of this roadmap and we look forward, hopefully, hopefully, to better days. We're still nervous and we're still worried and we're still frustrated and we're done out and and mentally we're not good and we haven't seen anybody in ages and we, we can't go to church and we can't do the things we'd like to do. But brothers and sisters, providentially, what is God doing in these days? Providentially, how is the gospel going forward in these days? I'd ask you to consider that. And I'd ask you to remember that as we study this passage, the Lord has never, ever once lost control. And as we study it, I want you to realize again that that at no point is the Lord's word returning on to him void. And that is something I need to remember as the numbers watching these videos drop through the floor. And as you don't see people and don't talk to people, you don't know if anybody's listening, I remind myself on a daily basis that the word of the Lord does not return unto him void. And so I pray that this word goes to Samaria and Africa and Europe and America and wherever the Lord would have it go. He is no fool. A sparrow does not fall without his knowledge. He is sovereign. He is in control. And his providential plans for his bride are good. So friends, may we trust in that today. May we trust in our sovereign God that even in the middle of persecution, used it providentially to take the gospel to the other, to those who were a wee bit fringe and a wee bit different, but to those who would believe and be saved in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Providentially, the Lord has not lost any of his power and providentially, the Lord is at work. And providentially, the gospel that you and I have believed is still the same. Brothers and sisters, this past year has been wicked from start to finish. But we can rejoice that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation for all who will believe. Later in the book of Galatians, Saul, who becomes Paul, would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. Sometimes these verses in Galatians 3 are taken to show that that women can be elders. And sometimes they're taken to show that the sexual revolution that we are experiencing at the minute has got basis in the Bible. But these verses are not about the gender of elders. And these verses are not about the sexual revolution. These verses are about our common salvation. And we see it 
in Acts 8 as Jews and Samaritans and Ethiopians and Europeans are saved and they are saved in the same way which is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Here is the gospel and despite a pandemic and despite the doom and gloom that we go through the providential purposes of God will still come to pass. And what are those purposes for? So that many in this world would hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Today, we have not yet got to the finishing line, but it is coming. And you and I, by faith, will stand and sing the praises of the Lamb. And we will be there with our brothers and sisters in the faith from every tribe and tongue and language all across this world. In those days, we will see the glorious outworking of the gospel. But in Acts chapter 8, left Jerusalem by way of persecution and saw many Samaritans just one Ethiopian saved. Thanks be to God for the gospel, which remains the hope of this world, even in troubled days like this. <laughs>